Welcome. <laughs> Seriously? Oh, I should have said greetings or hi or something, right? You didn't know what to do when I said welcome, did you? So that was my own fault, sorry. Hi. hi. Good to see you all. Welcome if you're joining us online. We're glad you're joining us online also. I'm um, looking forward to uh, today's message. Um, I don't know about you, I kind of like the social distancing stuff. I like spaced out. You guys look good. You're all spaced out. It's so nice and way to go. I applaud you. It's good. And you at home, you're definitely spaced out, so good for you guys. Um, a Texan bought two horses, and he couldn't tell them apart. So a neighbor came over and said, here's what you do. Just cut the tail of one. So he cut the tail off. And that worked great until the other horse caught its tail and a barbed wire fence tore it off, and then he couldn't tell them apart anymore. So then the helpful neighbor said, I got another idea for you. Just notch the ear in one of them. So he notched the ear in one of them. That worked good too until the other horse caught his ear in the barbed wire again and notched its ear. And he goes, I'm getting really frustrated. I just can't tell things apart. So finally, the helpful neighbor said, why don't you measure them? See if they are different heights. He said, ah. The guy did measure them. He said, oh, I got good news. They're different heights. One's two inches taller than the other. The white one is two inches taller than the black one. (laughs) You thought that was going to be profound, didn't you? So here's the thing. Here's the thought. Sometimes... The obvious is just screaming at us, and we're overlooking it. And I want to tell you this. When it comes to the Bible, and especially to the book of Galatians, there are some obvious things being told to us. And sometimes we make it complicated because we don't want to hear what's being told to us. We don't want to receive what's being taught. So we make it complicated and hard as kind of a mechanism so that we can not listen to it. And I want to encourage you to listen to what is being said in the book of Galatians. It's obvious. It's forthright. I mean, listen, you come to God by grace through Jesus Christ. It's so obviously stated in the book of Galatians over and over again. It's just, you come to God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? It's obvious. Right? Right. And then when you're saved, you're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about a little bit of that today. And he transforms you from the inside out, and you no longer live the same. It's obvious, right? Right. Okay, these things of the Galatians are obvious to us, and they're building blocks for our faith. Are you ready for Galatians 5 now? Yeah. All right, I'll take it. Here we go. Listen to the first three verses. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Now, Paul has already tackled this issue of the law and its place in Galatians chapter 3. Pastor Aaron did a wonderful job of talking about that. If you haven't heard that message, I'd say go back and listen to that message. Really well done. He circles back again to the same topic here in Galatians 5. And these Judaizers were were relentless. And they were coming at the Galatians and saying, it's not just Jesus, it's Jesus plus some other things. And Paul is just rebuking this fiercely in Galatians chapter 5. So our big thought for this message is this. Jesus Christ sets you free. Jesus Christ has set you free. I'm going to say it one more time. Jesus Christ has set you free. Now, I want you to say this with me. Now, if you're online listening to us, I expect you to say it out loud at home with us also. That's part of the way that you participate in in the sermon. So I'm going to say, in Jesus, I'm free. You're going to respond, in Jesus, I'm free. 
You ready for this? It's not hard. You can do it, right? Okay. In Jesus, I'm free. You say? I'm going to do it one more time. In Jesus, I'm free. Do you believe it? So what does it mean? That's the question, right? We're going to grapple with today. What does it mean that in Jesus I'm free? Because we're told here we have freedom in Jesus Christ. We need to know what that means. Back in Galatians chapter 3 verse 24, we're told that part of the, of the, of the purpose of the law, part of its function was to lead us to Christ. So the law is like an escort. Back in the days of Jesus Christ, there were these people, these schoolmasters that would pick a kid up from home and escort him to synagogue. Uh, they were the, 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 the schoolmaster, but they didn't teach him anything. They got him to the place where he got taught. That's the function of the law. The law is like an escort. It shows you and I that we're sinful, that we're in desperate need, and we're supposed to grab a hold of the, you know, the elbow of the law, and it escorts to the foot of the cross, and we see our need of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he teaches us. He fills our heart, and the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out. And it's by grace, through faith, then, that we're born again. And so we're supposed to have that kind of self-awareness. We're supposed to understand the place of the law. Otherwise, the law becomes an enslaving instrument in our life, and we try to please God by obeying all these things, and we cannot physically ever possibly do that, and it becomes an enslaving thing. And part of what we're set free from is that kind of approach to God. So once saved, though, then we are changed, right, from the inside out, and we begin to live in a way that pleases the Lord. It's detour season in South Dakota, amen? It's really detour season in Minnesota, and if you go out of state. And Vicki and I, every time we go on a trip, we were just on a trip here the last few days, we, put our, uh, we pull up our little maps, Google Maps or Apple Maps on the phone so we can avoid all the detours and get to our destination quickly. I want to take a really needed detour with you today in this message. You okay with that? In the spirit of detour season, we're just going to take a detour here. Because I, I think when we talk about being set free and having freedom in Christ, it's, it's one thing to understand, I don't come to God by some rules and regulations. I come to God by a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's incredibly, incredibly important. But we're also set free from some other things. And I need to talk about these other things. And this is where the detour is going to take us for a, a, a few moments. After being bitten by a rabid dog, a coach went to a doctor. And he learned thereupon from the doctor that he was bitten by a rabid dog. And he got out a piece of paper and he began to feverishly write down uh, on that piece of paper. And the doctor said to the coach, what are you doing? And he said, I'm going to bite a whole bunch of alumni. I'm just listing them right now. We're maybe more like this coach sometimes than we want to admit. And part of what we are set free from in Jesus Christ is we're set free from jealousy and from revenge, and from bitterness, and from anger, all these things that are part of our sin nature that want to control us. Part of being set free, when we're saying I'm free in Christ, is we're free from the dominion of our sinful man or woman in us. Amen? And that's part of what Paul's saying to us here. When we're set free, we're set free from trying to come to God by rules and traditions and rituals, and we're set free from ourselves. And from our sinful nature, it should no longer control us. Instead, we should be controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
A lady was tremendously wronged by another person. She chose to forgive her and to forget all about it. A long time after this occurred, some of her friends were rehashing this situation and how she was uh, mistreated. And they turned to her and said, how are you dealing with this? And she said, I distinctly remember forgetting that. We need to be like that with wrongs done to us. We need to distinctly remember to forget. Amen? Because these things will accumulate in our souls, and it's just like this, this garbage, this crud in there that's percolating around and polluting our souls. And, you know, bitterness wells out, then anger comes out, or jealousy, or envy, and all those kinds of things. We're set free from that. So, so, so are you free? Amen? Are you set free from these things? In Jesus, we are free. Are you happy about that? Because that's part of what it means. Let's go back to Galatians 5. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6. Listen to this. You who are, are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness which, for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Now hear this. Hear this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. This is obvious. What counts? <laughs> it's obvious, right? We're going to say, I'm going to say that again. What counts? Faith expressing itself through love. It's obviously stated here. So if you're going to err anywhere as a human being following the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How are you going to err? In faith what? Expressing itself how? In love. Faith expressing itself in love. So the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's a point here if you're taking uh, uh, notes. Um, I was reading this about Les Parrott here the other day, and it fit this message really well. He was recounting how when he was a young uh, student in college, working towards ministry, he had got the opportunity to preach Sunday and, and evening morning at a small church in Madison, Wisconsin. And so he very rarely got the opportunity to preach two sermons, and so he put together a couple sermons. One, the, the morning one was on, uh, take time to be loved, and so he put these messages together and, you know, practice them in front of the mirror. I don't know if any of you ever do public speaking or not, um, so one of the things they tell you to do is look at yourself in the mirror and, and get rid of your idiosyncrasies that are distracting. I'm sure I have a bunch of them, but at any rate, he, he, so he's practicing in front of this mirror and he's got his message down to 20 minutes for both messages, I thought he must be talking to a traditional church. At any rate, um, you know, uh, 20 minutes is a long time. So he's, get this, he get, he's got these down. So he gets in his car on that Sunday morning, borrows his dad's Buick, uh, to go to this church, this Church of the Nazarene in Madison, Wisconsin, to preach. Well, he's running a little late. So he's in a hurry, and he ends up behind this guy, and he said this guy was out for a Sunday drive. That's how he worded it. He's only going 60 miles an hour in a 50-mile-an-hour zone or whatever it was. He was not speeding enough for, for less. So he said, I did what any person would do, you know. I tailed him very closely to try to get him to go faster. And tailed him for a long time, and the guy didn't go any faster. And then he said, of all things, he actually went the speed limit when he got near town. He slowed down. And then, less to my horror, he put his turn signal on to go into the church parking lot. <laughs> 
So he's been tailing this guy for a few miles now, trying to get him to go faster. And he turns into the church parking lot, and, he, and, and Les said, I looked for where he parked the car, and I went to the farthest spot away from him. So hopefully he wouldn't recognize me and not know that I was the one tailing him. And so then he said, I got up inside the church. I stood to my, uh, uh, you know, stood up to preach in my nice black suit with my white shirt and tie and all that kind of stuff. And I flashed my most spiritual smile and went on to preach about the importance of taking time to love others with the love of Jesus Christ. And he says this, the man did not seem impressed. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, because faith should express itself in love. Now, we've talked about what, what is love. Yeah, and we've talked about that a lot over the last few weeks here, a few months at Grace Point. What's love? Well, here's my succinct definition of love. It's a consuming concern for the eternal well-being of another person. It's a consuming concern for the eternal well-being of another human being. That's love for us. So I want to ask you something. I'm going to get real pointed here today. When you're talking with somebody about face masks, whether you should wear them or don't wear them, do you have a consuming love for the eternal well-being of that person you're talking to. I'm not going to get into the debating of right or wrong of it. I'm going to ask you, are you motivated that way? Are you motivated by their welfare and love? Because I'm going to tell you, walk away from most of these conversations. Don't argue about it. I don't care which side you fall on. I don't, even want, don't tell me after church which side you fall on. I don't really, I get people telling me that all the time. I'm overloaded with people telling me which side of the mask thing they fall on. Honestly, I love you, but I don't care. Okay? Now, I'm choosing to wear masks more often than not often. Just to let you know where I, what I'm doing. If, I, if I'm going into a store, I'm going to wear a mask because it's courtesy to other people. All right? So that's why I'm falling on this thing. But evidently, I'm not wearing one right now. Nor are most of you. But I just want you to understand our consuming concern, if we're set free, if we're free in Christ, then we're free not to worry about our own rights and our own privileges. We're set free from selfishness. And we're set free to be genuinely concerned about the well-being of another person. So, walk away. Don't say much. Pray for them. Love on them. Amen? Are you convinced of this? I just want you to think on that. All right, let's turn back to Galatians 5. I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. Paul gets real blunt now. Listen to what he says. You were running a good race who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for uh, those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. He doesn't mince words here. Paul is strongly rebuking them. He's saying it's obvious the way you come to God is by grace through Jesus Christ. You don't add anything to that. Not one iota can be added to that. That is what it is. And you know, we live in this toleration generation. We live in this, you know, kind of anything goes. And we're constantly bombarded with, yeah, but can Jesus be the only way to God? Is he the only way to God? Yes. We can't deviate from that at all. Not one iota. So this brings us to point two here. You can't deviate at all from coming to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what gives you freedom. If you add anything to that message, 
you're going to be enslaved by those things. And it's going to diminish you as a Christ follower. Um, did you notice that Paul says a little yeast works throughout the whole batch? I make bread. A lot of you know that. So when, when I make bread, there's, I, I got this memorized uh, recipe. You, uh, there's 10 cups of whole wheat flour in the batch I make with two cups of oatmeal. And I only put two tablespoons of yeast in the whole mixture when I get done with it. It doesn't take a lot of yeast. What's the purpose of yeast in bread? It gives it gas. Amen, right? It gives it gas. It bloats the mixture. That's its purpose. And what Paul is saying here, now I know this is a little bit, I mean, I want you to have this picture. When you, when you take Jesus and begin to add these other things onto him, that little bit of compromise, that little bit of addition is like causing a gas problem to happen. It's bloating you as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's, it's diminishing uh, Jesus and, and causing some distraction. And at some point, the pressure will have to be relieved. <laughs> you know, uh, Jesus taught on this all the time. One such case is found in the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus called out the Pharisees for allowing a practice called Korban. Korban was when a person would take uh, part of their wealth or part of their money and they would designate it to a special project, uh, a building of the temple or a special work of, of a priest or a Levi or whatever. And they say this funds I have, these funds I have are Korban to this special cause. And now it originally was a good thing. In fact, even if it was done as a rash vow, they said you have to keep your vow. You made that vow. Vows are important to keep. But it had become infiltrated by some misuse. There's some yeast that got added to this thing, and some misuse and abuse had transpired. And um, so what was going on was some of these rabbis and people were kind of in cahoots together. And so a person that was supposed to give some money to their parents, because in that culture, you're supposed to take care of your parents as they aged and support them. They would say, what wealth I was going to use for you, what help I was going to give to you is Korban unto the Lord. And basically, they were keeping it for their selfish use. And oftentimes, they were working in conjunction with somebody, um, you know, a priest or, 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 or the, one of those leaders. And it wasn't too, uh, you know, it was a little dicey. And so they, this, they had this ungodly tradition that was displacing the godly tradition of taking care of your parents. So they come to Jesus. Some of this leadership comes to Jesus in Mark chapter 7. And they say to Jesus, why do your disciples eat without washing their hands? And Jesus says this. Now, hear this in, 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 in understanding what Korban's all about. This is found in Mark chapter 7, verse 6 through 13. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you, and you do many things like that. So Jesus did, you, he never answered the hand-washing thing. Do you notice that here? 
He said, listen, you're talking about my Usha stuff here. That doesn't matter. Look what you're doing here. And look at the intention uh, of honor your father and mother. It's, it's a relational intention. You're supposed to take care of your parents. You're supposed to love them and honor them. Instead, you have this, this silliness of called Corban, and you're misusing that and taking away your first obligation to take care of your parents and keeping the money for yourself. And he, he, goes, he goes right to the heart, doesn't he? Jesus always goes right to the heart. Amen? That's what I love about following Christ Jesus. He just goes to the heart and he gives them kind of a dagger of the heart, but he never did answer the question about hand rosting because it doesn't matter, does it? What matters is that we come to God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and add nothing to it. And that then we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we begin to live it out in a way that pleases God. Amen? And we can never deviate one iota from that. It has to be first and foremost in our mindset all the time. So let's go back to Galatians 5. So we know at this point God wants us to be a love-motivated, faith-based, Holy Spirit-led follower, which leads us right to this next section of Scripture. Listen to this. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, sin nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So, here's our point. Don't use your freedom in Jesus as an excuse to indulge your sinful nature. Don't use this scripture that I've been reading to you as a reason to indulge your sinful nature. So I, I mentioned we're in detour season, right? We're also in political season. Have you noticed that? And so I have a political joke for you that will help understand this. A politician was speaking with God. He asked, what's the minute like in heaven, God? God replied, a billion years. You know this is fictitious, right? Just making sure. Then he asked, well, what's a penny worth then? The Lord said, a billion dollars, to which the politician's eyebrows raised up. He said, oh, okay. God, can I have a penny, he asked. And God said, in a minute. <laughs> so it seems too frequently that we are playing games and working angles with God. And we tend to do this frequently with this freedom concept here that's being presented in, in Galatians 5. I've heard people do very dicey, questionable things and and they'll come to me and they'll say, well, I'm free in Christ. I can do these things. Now, based on what I've just said to you for the last few minutes, is that a right rendering of the scripture we're looking at? I'm free in Christ to indulge my sinful nature, to go to the edge of something that's acceptable and just kind of dangle my feet over the edge and say, I can do this because I'm free in Jesus Christ. And when someone says that to me and they're doing something dicey and a, a bit out of line, I go, you don't have any idea what freedom in Christ is about because you're enslaved to that thing right now that, that's attracted to you so much that is taking you to that place of questionability. That's not freedom in Christ. That's enslavement. And you're just using that language to indulge your flesh. Um, and so uh, we have to understand that. We're, what, what, are we, what are we free from? We're free from what? Trying to earn our salvation. We're free from that. We can't do it. It's a free gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not a works, lest any man should boast, right? Um, 
what else are we free from? We're free from the enslavement of our sinful nature. We're free from those things that want to captivate us and enslave us. And so we're free from the dominion of our sinful person. We're free from that. That's what we're free from. Okay? If we don't know what we're free from, we don't know what we're declaring. We're saying, I'm free in Jesus. Amen? So let's go back to Galatians 5 because it ends with two dramatically different lists. And it compares the sinful nature to the nature controlled by the person of the Holy Spirit. So hear this scripture. It's going to finish our reading from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. Listen to what this says. So I say, walk by the Spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now hear this. This is going to begin the comparison and contrast of the flesh to the spirit. The acts of the flesh are obvious. We're back to this obvious thing again. Sexual immorality. Do we live in a culture of sexual immorality? Has it infiltrated the church? It has. Impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred and discord, jealousy, fits of rage. By the way, I'm going to stop here. I don't do social media. My wife does it for me. She's my filter. I don't have time, and I can't friend you all. And if I don't friend some people, they'll get mad at me. So I'm not going to do that. But some of the stuff I see on social media... It's abhorrent. And it's said by Christians. It's full of rage. Fits of, you know, rage. It's full of dissensions and factions. That's not what we should do. If you need to vent, find a close friend. Don't vent that way. Amen? It's gotten real quiet in here. Let me go back and read this list. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he contrasts that, compared to two, the Holy Spirit-filled life. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, each week, if you're noticing, we give you a together at home, discipleship, uh, suggestion with family and friends. And if you're watching online, you need to go to the media section and to the note guide there to find this. Okay? But if you're here in person, you have a note guide. And one of the, one of the suggestions here, or takeaways to do at home, is to memorize Galatians 5.22. As Christ's followers who are motivated by a love for Jesus Christ and a love for other people, who are filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, we ought to know that the fruit of my life should be love, joy, peace, right? It should be forbearance, kindness, gentleness, uh, goodness, and, and self-control. It gets us things. There's no law, right? And so these are the kinds of things that should come forth from us. I would suggest to you, as that, that, that exercise says, and the take-home stuff, memorize that. Memorize this scripture. Meditate on it. Chew on it. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So, 
This brings us to a simple conclusion today. We are to live by the Holy Spirit and not to gratify the desires of the flesh. It's just that simple. It's obvious. I'm, I'm not saying anything I'm sharing with you today is very profound. It's obvious, though. It's super obvious. Amen? Now, do we choose to believe it or not becomes the question. Do we choose to live this way becomes the, the, the challenge for us. Because much of Scripture is just super obvious. But the key thing is, do we implement it? Uh, do we begin to organize our life this way and live this way? That's where we experience the deepness of Jesus Christ. That's where we experience the profoundness of change. It's not so much finding a new secret nugget that we never heard before in Scripture. It's taking the obvious part of Scripture and saying, obviously, I need to do this. Amen? And oftentimes, the way it happens is you are put in a situation where you need to bear that fruit. You know what? You're, if, you want, if you say, God, God, I want to love better, God will put you with somebody that's unlovely so that you can love in a way that's not selfishly motive, motivated and you don't get any feedback. If you say, God, you know what? Um, I just want to be one that's governed by gentleness. <laughs> you will be around people that aren't gentle, that are harsh maybe and demeaning. And you have to pray for that gentleness to prevail. You have to be one governed by the, uh, of the Holy Spirit. And it's obvious. I want you to understand this stuff isn't like you don't have to take a, a master's in theology to get it. It's just stated here in the scripture. And the question becomes, will we do it? And here's, here's my simple rule of thumb for, for really becoming a person that, that lives by the Holy Spirit. First of all, I always starve my flesh. Starve my flesh. Starve your sin nature. And what I mean by that is this. Avoid temptations as much as you can. I mean, I tell you what. If you're a recovering alcoholic, you don't want to go to a bar. Amen? You want to starve that thing. If you're a recovering chocoholic, don't buy a bunch of candy bars. I'm just... That's a joke. I'm sorry. That's a terrible joke. But, but you get what I'm saying. If you want to master something, if you don't want it to control you, you've you got to eliminate the temptation as much as you physically can. If you have a problem with lust, then you need to block the TV channels that would promote that kind of stuff and have your spouse have the passcode so you don't know what it is. Amen? You starve that thing. What you don't do is chuck a log on the fire and think, oh, why is this a problem? You're chucking a log on it. Take the logs off it. And, and it probably won't be as much of a problem. But more than starving, you need to feed your spirit. You need to do the right kinds of things that promote godliness in your life. If all the bad news that you're hearing right now, which is a lot, is causing you to stress out and have fear and have anxiety, here's my suggestion to you. Turn it off. Turn it off and pray instead. Read some scripture. Read a, read a psalm. Sing it a little bit. Hum it to yourself, whatever. And let the peace of God prevail in your life. Here's my simple formula. Displace and replace wrong activities with life-giving activities. I'm going to say that again. Displace and replace wrong activities with life-giving activities. So if something's causing you to stress, do the contrary thing to that that brings life. So if you're tended to, if you're one that wants to go out there in Brookings and argue with everybody about face masks, 
Use that passion this way. Instead of arguing with people and, 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 and trying to win an argument, when you get into that tension, walk away, pray for that person. Not that they would see your point of view. Just pray for that person. That God would bring life to that person and bring life to you. Begin to use that passion that, in a way that bring life. Amen? And, and we, we're talking a lot about racial reconciliation and things right now. And we should be. We should be talking about this thing. It's gone on long enough. But it, 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 the, what we really need to be do, doing is genuinely caring for each other and praying for each other. It begins there. A move of God. I talked about this last week. A move of God is upon us. It's a, it's a foot. I think things are happening. And you and I, if we want to participate in it, we need to become great intercessors and prayer warriors. And we need to begin to really genuinely pray one for another. Amen. Are you with me on this? And so displace and replace wrong activities with life-giving activities. You're free in Jesus. I declare that to you today. You are indeed free in Jesus. And what that means is you're free from enslavement of trying to come to God by some rules that are usually man-made to please God. You're free from that. Chuck that stuff aside. You're free also, though, from your sin nature. You're free from its dominion and control. You're free from your anger. You're free from your bitterness. You're free from being an unforgiving person. Amen? In Jesus Christ, all things are new. You're a new creation in him, and you're free from all that junk. It just shouldn't dominate you anymore. And you're to be motivated by your faith in God and by love that comes out of that faith. That should be what, what happens. You should express your faith by loving other people. That means you have their, their eternal well-being at the heart of whatever you do. Whenever you talk to another human being, if you're truly a born-again Christ follower trying to live free in your faith, you're going to be free from your selfishness, free from your own interests, and you're first and foremost going to look at that other person and say, how, God, do you want me to bless that person? How do you want me to pray for them? Amen? That's what freedom in Christ is all about. And I declare to you, you're free. And if we're this kind of free people, guess what? We're going to set this city free. Because it's in captivity right now. Because if you're not under God, you're a slave to Satan. And that's a terrible place to be. And you need to be an ambassador for freedom, but you need to ambassador for freedom of this sort. Amen? Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to thank you that in Jesus Christ we're free. I want to thank you for Paul's boldness and bluntness and obviousness, Lord, and how he just declares this. And um, it's the difference between, you know, the colors of horses. It's just obvious, Lord. So help us today to embrace these truths. I'll admit they're not all that profound, some of them, but they are profound if we really do them. That's where the profoundness factors in, Lord, when we truly live Christ-like. And so, Lord Jesus, set us free from enslavement. We don't have to come to you by our works. We're free from that. But Lord, in you, I understand that we'll do good works. We're called to good, good works in you. But that's done because the Holy Spirit fills us and prompts us to do it, Lord. So help us have the order of it right. Lord Jesus, we come to you by grace through faith in Jesus. We understand that's the only way to come to you. It's narrow. It's small. We can't deviate it from it one, one iota, Lord. And that's freeing. And Lord, I, I just pray that we'd never use our freedom to indulge in any sinful activity, any questionable activity. That's not what it's about, Lord. We're free from that. We're free from our sinful nature. Thank you, Jesus, for setting us free from these things and enslave us and want to dominate us. So would you bless our church? Would you bless everybody listening online today with this idea that they're free in Jesus Christ? Pray this in your name, Jesus, and by your blood.